I'm Marlo Higgins, and I've spent nearly four decades as an entrepreneur building boundaries around time and energy. I am captivated by stories of creating that mythical balance between priorities and success without the guilt and fear of missing out. I'm a to-the-point business coach that helps start a company, rebrand another, and launch my own. Now I'm running a thriving online brand with the white space in my calendar to spend time with my family, nurture my soul, and create an impact in our world. Are you dreaming of striking a balance between a thriving business and a joyful life? It is possible, and it starts with you. Get out your field notes, and let's tap into Peaceful Achievers, inspiring you to create a vision, level up your skills, and show you how to set boundaries that support the life you desire. This is 22 Minutes to Having It All. All right, this is Marlo, your host of 22 Minutes to Having It All podcast. We've been podcasting for over five years, and I can tell you that this episode with Jeff Lerner, who's the founder of Entree, it's like, oh my God, like mind-blowing. We just had so much fun. We connected right out of the gates, actually to the point when you enter into the episode, you're going to hear us just starting to chit-chat, and I don't even go into any formal welcome. We just take it, and I think that energy just gives you an understanding of how powerful this episode is because we talk about, you know, being an entrepreneur and, you know, are we born with it? Can we grow it? Jeff's own success, you know, which I think it's really cool. I mean, he breaks down and said that, you know, he's gotten himself as a high school dropout at the age of 16 with, you know, some support, but not a lot, figuring it out on his own just knowing that his job, like when he was 16 years old, he's like, oh my God, I could never work for anybody. I can't follow, you know, and be told where to be at a certain time. And I know you as an entrepreneur, that resonates because I resonate with that deeply. I've always been self-employed and taking my own lead on things. Now, it's a blessing and a curse. We all know that. But Jeff says that he got there through, you know, making the decision, having like infinite focus and building sage habits. And so that's what this episode is about. You know, he was a jazz musician and turned into entrepreneur because at 20 years old, I mean, he took that music, he took his experience and his passion of music and playing the piano. And he used to play for billionaires, right? So, okay, you get in the room, you start connecting the dots, you start rubbing elbows with the right people, and then you start making connections. And so there right there is a super fun story. So Jeff is real, it is raw, it is fun. And he is not immune to setbacks, just like you. So listen in and enjoy. Again, I'm going to say it. Please subscribe and give us a review. Tell us what you like most about it because this platform is so important. We're giving it all of our energy because it is that valuable. And we know that you see that as well. So in order for us to hit our goals and to stay high in our rankings, we need you, our very, very important listeners, to support that. So give us a review and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again next week. How did you get started as an entrepreneur? Like, what was the catalyst? I know, I mean, we're going to talk about your comeback stories, but like, what's the gist of it, just to jump in? Oh, I mean, getting started, I don't know that I ever wasn't an entrepreneur. I mean, I've been psychologically unemployable pretty much since the day I was born. When I was 16, I had a job one summer and I lasted three weeks and was like, I can't do this. I cannot show up at a time because I was told for a rate that I was told to do what I am told. 
I just couldn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I wrote a book about Mavericks, right? It's the unbridled independent. I mean, those people like that top yeah. 2% that there are no rules. You're just kind of charting your own path. And short, and shortly, and, and what's funny, so that was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. And not only did I realize I can't do a job, but I, at, from that moment forward, I, all I saw when I looked at schooling was this is job training. Like school is this extended form of job training and ultimately job placement. So I didn't want to do school anymore after that. So actually about three months after, after uh, school got back in session, I dropped out of school altogether. High school? High school, yeah. Okay. Like that's brilliant though. Hello. I mean, so many successful people are on that spot. Okay. So I'm going to take you right here. Take us to the 26-year-old, okay, who is in the space of wanting to be independent, has dropped out of college, you know, is trying to chart their own path. Speak to that person right now today, as far as what you see and what got you where to, you know, where you are. Okay. So a few things. One, I mean, I'm not entirely going to go, oh, we'll just do what I did. I mean, there's a little bit of do as I say, not as I did uh, in, in me, because I just, I don't think I can ever counsel somebody to take what could be a reckless level of risk in the context of their life. But I also know that if somebody had counseled me not to take what was admittedly probably a reckless level of risk in my own life, I would have ignored them. And so I think the kind of person that has that truly unbridled spirit, like you mentioned, it almost doesn't really matter what we tell yeah. them. They're going to they're gonna follow their path anyway. Yeah. But what I would tell that 26-year-old is like, there is a place for you in this world. And that part of you that feels like maybe a bit of a, of a malcontent or that's been shamed or that has, doesn't feel maybe like you fit or that makes you some kind of like alien being that was placed on the wrong planet, which is how I felt for a lot of my life. That's actually your greatness. At least some, some of it might be other things, but some part of that is your greatness that can be triggering to other people or hard to find a proper space for. Um, but someday it's what's going to make your life extraordinary. Okay. So what's the blind spot in that? I mean, and again, um, th- just talking to a seasoned person, right? So there are people that are tapping into this, right? I mean, there's a huge audience of individuals in that space that I talk about. You know, they dropped out of college, they're 24, 26, mm-hmm. they're trying to get their feet on the ground. You, and like me, I'm, you know, doubled my income in a worldwide recession without a college education. I think it's shit, personally. I don't think a piece of paper should tell you your worth in life. Um, I believe by doing, and I think that's where all the results come from. But that person who just like needs to know, Jeff, what's the blind spot in doing what you did? Well, first of all, I would say I totally agree about college education. The, 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 the most shocking statistic to me was to find out it's not, it's not so much what people that don't have college degrees manage to accomplish, because I kind of understand that world. It's the fact that over 50% of the people that do have college degrees end up working jobs in the economy that don't require college degrees. So they wasted, you know, they wasted the time and money to, to a large degree. And there's a lot of student debt in this, con- in this country that was unnecessary as a result of that. But, but the blind spot, I would say, is I think I was impractical and unreasonable at a certain time in my life where I, I could have been a lot more systematic and disciplined about accumulating resources because, you know, I spent the first 10 years of my professional career 
well, about 11 years from, you know, I dropped out at 16 and became a full-time musician and just started practicing music all the time. And I was a working musician by 18. And I did that for 10, 11 years. And I, I loved it, but I could have done a lot with that time. And I think the blind spot is thinking like, if you're going to go the road less traveled, thinking that you have time, mm-hmm. you got to hit it. You got to hit it while you're young. You got to hit it while you're energetic. You got to hit it while you don't have family and dependence and attachments. And, and you got to make every second count. If you're going to go the road less traveled, you got to be prepared for the fact that you're going to have to work twice as hard, be twice as clever and make every second count because it gets harder when you get into your thirties and then you get into your forties. It's, it's harder to be a maverick if you haven't built the foundation when you were young. That's probably what I'd say. Okay. So here's another point too. And I love that you say that because I think that's catalyst. You know, you do, you kind of have to, you know, work a little bit hard because that's the decision you're making. So here's another thing like support systems. Like what did your parents think, Jeff? You know, like, so were they supporting you at 16 or they're like, kid, you're out of the house because I think this is bullshit. No, my parents and I always had a really clear understanding growing up that they were going to support me and give me a, a good quality of life until I was 18. And then when I was 18, they had some money they had helped set aside that would help me go to college. And that was the deal. And so when I dropped out at 16, they basically said, okay, well, we didn't really account for that in the deal, but we're not going to change the deal. You can still live here till you're 18 and there's still money to go to college. And I actually did figure out how to get into college, even though I dropped out of high school, which was a, a little bit of an interesting achievement and story. But then, so then, yeah, that's basically how it worked. I, I was 18. I was on my own. I got an apartment. I started playing gigs. I, I got into school. Ultimately, the money that they had set aside for me to go to college with, I ended up getting as a little bit of a jump start in life because I was able to qualify for scholarships for playing piano. So I didn't end up needing to spend the money on school, which was helpful. Yeah. You know, they, I wouldn't say they, they weren't unsupportive. They were okay. just... Uh, steadfast and, and firm in the deal that we had made. Okay. So was that fear or fuel for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Fuel. I, I was so excited when I dropped out. I mean, I just suddenly, and you know, and I look around life and I'm like, is everybody like this and they're in denial or am I, or some people <laughs> just not like me. I just need to own my own time. I cannot handle having somebody, you know, take my time or control my time or just living a life where the majority of my time is, has to be traded for survival. And so I was so excited when I dropped out of school and I suddenly had this time that I didn't take it for granted at all. Although I may have been impractical, I was, I, I, I didn't waste one second being lazy. I just, I just got after it. Um, I'm not sure I was always working on the right things, but I never really wasn't working. Hard. Okay. So when you say music, so you say it's classical or jazz or what, like what part of music you said, piano, it was the piano. And after a while I started singing cause I realized I could get more tips if I could sing along with myself. But yeah, I was, a, I was, I started by teaching myself jazz piano out of a book. I didn't start playing until I was actually basically 16 and almost 17 when I dropped out. That's when I started playing the piano. So I was, that was one of the reasons I worked so hard is I realized, okay, I'm betting it all on my ability to support myself playing music while I figure out whatever I want to do in life. But I'm almost 17 years old and I'm not, and I'm like, I don't play. 
Yeah. So I better get to work. Yeah. And I started I practicing it. like 10 hours a day out. And I taught myself out of a book because I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't pay for lessons. So initially it was jazz. And then when I got into school, I played a lot of classical too. And I ended up doing a lot of accompanying, I guess as a technical matter. What I, what I figured out was my hands are never going to be as good as other pianists' hands because I started so much later. Um, my theory is that if you start after puberty, you're, you don't biomechanically develop doing the thing. So you always have a handicap, right? I think that's probably true of any physical endeavor. But what I lacked in, in physical aptitude, I figured I could make up with my mind. And so I got really obsessed with music theory. I got really, you know, and, and, and jazz obviously pushes the envelope theoretically. But, but what that resulted in for me is that I could play most music in all 12 keys. You know, for any non-musicians, they, that may not mean that much. But think about you go into a company, a singer, and she's got, she says, oh, I'm going to sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. Mary Had a Little Lamb. And you're playing along, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And she's like, <laughs> I've got a little bit of a cold. Can we take it down a minute and go, or down a bit and go, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Little, and I go, oh, I got to move it down on the keyboard. I could do that on the fly. So I got really, really popular and I kind of carved out a little cottage business for myself accompanying singers because they knew that they could hand me sheet music and I could pretty easily move it into other keys if they needed me to. So very powerful. I mean, this is the 22 minutes to having it all podcast. And I love Jeff, how like you just, you're just showing up, right? And having it all is a big thing. What does that mean to you? I mean, what is having it all based on like, you know, your career started at 16, you made some very monumental moves, had some bravery. Where are you at today? And what does all that mean? Having it all, and this is going to sound cliche, but it's not, it's actually, it's not as altruistic as it sounds coming out of my mouth. It's actually my very self-interested interpretation of having it all based on experience, based on what I've learned. Having it all means giving it all. That's what it means for me. I, I don't like the version of myself that holds things back and doesn't go all in on all the things that are important to me in life. I, so, so I feel, and when I think of having it all, it's like having that feeling of fulfillment to fill full by what we were meant to do fulfillment. Right. And I have that feeling when I am leaving it all out on the field, like physically, my life is so boring and I love it. I get up really early. I go to the gym. I kick my own ass. I'm by by five 30 in the morning. I've done like a brutally hard workout. Then I go play piano and I, and I just, I pour my heart into that. And then I go be with my, I take my daughter to school and then I come home and see my other daughter. My older, my boys are older. They're teenagers. They're not as into like morning time with dad. And then eight o'clock I get to work. And then I just work my butt off all day trying to build this incredible company that I'm so passionate about and that I believe the world uh, so desperately needs what I do. It's almost like a nonprofit, only I also get to make money. It's best of both worlds. And then I spend time with my wife at night and then I go to bed and then I repeat. And like I do that every day and I have nothing left to give. It's all given and therefore it's all had. Okay, so here's a question I hear with that. So how do you sustain it, right? So having it all is, is like bringing it all. How do you sustain that? Because right there is a key element too. As entrepreneurs, I mean, there's a sustainability feature there. How do you? Yeah. So I think it? of it. I think of it as like like you have to tune your engine. You know, every every. I mean, in the nineteen what was in 1972, I think the government passed this concept of like a federal speed limit, a 55 miles per hour, right? Because 
the government was basically saying, how do we sustain this? We have high oil prices. We need to find the optimum performance for car engines. As it happened, their math was off and 55 wasn't really the, the way cars perform the best. But it always stuck in my mind like, oh, yeah, they were just trying to find the trade-off of speed and fuel efficiency. Well, that's, that's all we are. Depending on what kind of different cars perform differently. Some cars are, are designed like they run best at like 95 miles per hour. Some cars, you can tell they get above 60 and they feel like they're going to fall apart. So I just think about my life. What are my consistent practices that are tuning and optimizing my engine, my performance machine, so that I can run at a speed that's a little bit higher than other people's speeds or than my speed would be if I didn't take care of myself as well? And I think the key to life, it's not about sprinting and exhausting yourself. It's about tuning yourself so that you're 55 can be a little bit faster than it would be. And, and frankly, a little bit faster than your competitions. And that's, that's all I look at is what are my daily practices that allow my 55 mile per hour optimization to be a little bit better than everybody else's? Because then compounded over time, you could just be going one mile per hour faster than everyone else. Do that for 10 years. They can't even see you anymore. And I mean, incremental, like so small, but so big. Yeah. That's just, yeah, that's so big. Okay. So then how did you leverage in, you went from being a musician, like entrepreneur business, like when did the dots connect into something different for you? What was that and why? So early twenties, uh, I got in with this one booking agency in Houston. And again, it's, it's the little things that give you an advantage. One of my big advantages as a musician was uh, I would shave, I would comb my hair. I didn't smoke, so I, I didn't disappear on breaks and have the host wondering, where is the guy? Oh, he comes back and he smells like cigarettes. And I, I just, you know, was very professional and consistent. And that got me a lot of gigs that other musicians that were better players than me didn't get. And so because of just showing up and being consistent and professional, even in my early 20s, I was able to get in with this one booking agency in Houston that booked the highest end society gigs in town, like the nice charity galas, the balls, the banquets, and the private parties in, in the homes of very, very wealthy people. They all went through this one agency. So by like 24 years old, I was playing piano in the homes of legitimately of billionaires. So I'm the, I'm the in-home private pianist for dinner parties for like Tillman Fertitta and, you know, who owns the Rockets, uh, Jim and Jim Crane, who owns the Houston Astros now, which today's tonight's night one of the world series i used to play piano in his house every, i played his christmas party every year so what i realized after a while is like all these people that are hiring me for these gigs that have the most extravagant amazing lives they're all entrepreneurs they all started companies huh well that's kind of what i think i should do that because they seem to have what i have which is the ability to control their own time and get to be cre free and creative every day only they also have something i don't have at all, which is money. So I'm like, oh, I'll be an entrepreneur. So I actually started starting businesses early, all through my 20s. I was starting businesses, failing again and again and again and again, and ultimately dug myself into a really deep hole around 28, 29 years old, Great Recession, 2008, the world fell off a cliff, you know, 2007, really. And I had opened these franchise restaurants because that was back when just about anybody could get credit. And I, so I was at 29 years old. It was 2008. I was $495,000 in debt. I had just closed two franchise restaurants. I was being sued by the United States Treasury because they were SBA loans. 
I was being sued by two landlords. I had the state of Texas workforce commission and the sales tax commission coming after like just, it was a, a whole mess, right? Half a million dollars in debt. And that's when I went online and basically was Googling like, how does a broke person make money or, you know, how to, how to make money online. Or it was just the only thing, only place I could think to go. And I found a training course for $395, which is a lot of money to somebody who's only got $2,000 left on one credit card. And then he's completely out of money and can't even afford food. Um, and he's, and he's been evicted and, and his soon, his ex or his wife, who's actually divorcing him, her, her parents take pity on him and he gets to go live at their house for a few months while he figures something out. And I, and I got this course and I started teaching, uh, Myself, affiliate marketing was the first business model I got into online. And it turns out that a lot of the same skills that made me a really good, quick study, self-taught musician, I just moved from one keyboard to a different type of keyboard. Now I was sitting at a computer being a self-taught, quick study affiliate marketer. And I've just always had this ability to focus. I think focus is the one of the greatest assets we can have. And it's, and it's really in really short supply in the world today. People just can't, they don't read, they don't read long books. They don't take on uh, deep, intricate projects. You know, we all want immediate gratification and, and distraction, but I can focus. I can focus like a maniac. And I was, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, I was teaching myself affiliate marketing. And 18 months later, I had paid off half a million dollars in debt and I had moved to New York City and was living, I was divorced now and I was living a new life. And uh, yeah, that, 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 ever since then, I realized, okay, because prior to that, all my entrepreneurial endeavors had been kind of brick and mortar, either physical product or service businesses. Like, you know, let me get it, let me you know, let me get a rent a desk somewhere and try to have meetings and, and just be a physical business owner. Soon as I found what it looks like to run a business on the internet, I was like, I was in love. I was in, and, uh, and I've been doing that ever since. And, and pretty quickly I started coaching other people that were doing it. And now I have, you know, Entre Institute where we teach people how to run a business in the modern economy that it, this ain't your granddad's economy and it doesn't have to be your granddad's business. Right. So it's an online business education, right? Take us to this. So I think a lot of us who are in the online space, you know, take us to the thought process in courses like coursework, launching a course. If you're an independent brand, you should have a course. Give us some insight. Like what's the value of a, of a personal brand launching a course? Why does it matter? And why are you so passionate about building that? Man, I mean, I can just share from personal experience. First of all, a personal brand is, it's, it's, yeah, I don't have a business card because I have a personal brand. Like if somebody wants to, I'm like, oh, I don't, people, do you have your card? And I'll just say, no, just go, you know, go on YouTube. Jeff type in Jeff Lerner. Yeah. Like that is, it is a, it is a multidimensional, immersive, stimulating business card effectively where people can go get lost in an entire world, getting to know you, getting to experiencing experience you, developing the know, like, and trust factor that ultimately has them wanting to do business with you. And to not have that in the modern world would be the equivalent of not having a phone number or an address 20 years ago. Like people don't, you don't exist. As far as creating a course, it's been the most powerful thing I've ever done in 2019 after I had been building my personal brand for about a year, because I had this vision and, and, you know, there's a backstory of 
exiting a business and kind of being in a place in my life where it was, I, I was able to take stock and decide what do I want to do now? That was 2018. And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to teach. I wanted to share with the world this knowledge that I had acquired about the power of entrepreneurship in the modern economy done a certain way that can create freedom and empowerment in your life. And I started putting a bunch of content out. But frankly, all it was doing was making noise until I created a course. But once I created a course, it, it for one, it focused me. It forced me to figure out because you can talk endlessly, right? right. You can, you can right. just make words yeah. and sentences for the rest of your life. That's rhetoric. And, and that's my point. Like so much rhetoric is out there. That's what I'm saying. That's like, I think right. a lot of people, because there's so many courses out there are just rhetoric. Tell us, like, give us some insight. Yeah. So, so the course, it, it really does focus you and decide what is it that I want to say that I'd be, that I'm willing to hear myself repeat in, you know, over and over and over for years, and that I'm always going to be proud of, and it's going to be evergreen, and I'm always going to be willing to stand, stand behind it, right? So it just, it was like a distillation of everything I had to say into what I really wanted to say. And that's what the course was for me. It was called the Entre Blueprint. And as soon as I came out with that course, suddenly all the work I was doing in my personal brand had this directional energy where it could all go toward, hey, if you really want to get to know me, if you really want to experience what I have to offer, go buy my course. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have, and it, it was $39. It wasn't prohibitive. Yeah. Um, and that course literally has become the foundation of Entre Institute. We're, we're almost, I, I don't know what the number is today, like 196, 197,000 units of that course. I'm still selling that course. It's become, I believe, the best-selling business education course in the history of the internet now, almost 200,000 units. And it's the tripwire offer for Entre Institute that's built our whole business. Good Lord. Okay, so that's the question. You know, how did you guys grow so quickly? So you're just describing this. I mean, this is, you can count how many years on your hands. Like you've done this in a very short period of time. Yeah, I can, I can pick my nose with the number of fingers it takes to count the years. Yeah. Okay. So, Good. I mean, and, and entrepreneurs want to hear that. So how did you guys do it? Like what was, what's the method to the madness and how did you do that so quickly? Um, well, it's kind of one of those, you know, 20 years to become an overnight success, right? Like I've been starting and I actually started my first business when I was 16 years old. So I've been starting and failing at businesses. I, I did from 16 to 29, I started and failed at a dozen businesses, learned a ton of lessons along the way, learned tenacity, learned confidence, learned sales, learned some basic design skills. I, I taught myself HTML. I taught myself Photoshop. I taught myself the whole Adobe Creative Suite. I taught myself CSS and JavaScript and was passable PHP, server-side coder. Like I just developed a ton of skills. So I wasn't really failing. I was just learning. I mean, all education is, is like passing and failing tests in succession to learn stuff. Well, that's, that's what I was doing. I was just paying it for it a different way through losing businesses. And so I did that. And then 20, at 29, I got really into direct response marketing. I, I started studying guys like, you know, Dan Kennedy. Frank Kern, John Reese, John Carlton, kind of the OG, Ryan Dice, the OGs of the digital marketing space. Right. And got all my online direct response skills together. So 2018 was like this perfect storm, or 2019, let's call it, was like this perfect storm. Yeah, I created a course, but I, I had spent a year prior to creating the course figuring out exactly what I wanted to say in the course. So I was able to actually sit down and create the whole course in a week. And then when it came to launching the course, 
I now had 10 years of online direct response experience and over 20 years of business experience behind me to come out of the gate. I know how to make a strong offer. I know how to make a compelling pitch. I know how to structure a, a video sales letter, a sales presentation that's going to convert. I'm a, I'm a good copywriter. I, under, I just understood all the things that needed that I needed. And especially what I understood was I understand how to create a business model or what, what we might call a value stack or a value ladder that's sufficient, that's going to allow me to liquidate my advertising costs to very quickly acquire a lot of customers and still be profitable. And there's some infrastructure and there's some systems and processes that are required to do that. But I wasn't having to figure any of it out for the very first time. So yeah, we I mean, we've done you know now about sixty million dollars in in just over two years. But like, I knew I just knew what I was doing. I guess for lack of a better way to say it. And I'll be and and, and frankly, I mean, I, I launched the course in two thousand summer of two thousand nineteen. What happened nine months later? COVID. Right. Forty million people went home to wow. say, hmm, I can't go to work. What am I going to do? How can I maybe learn to do some stuff on the internet? So I ended up being in the right place at the right time. But at that, but, but I had enough momentum going that, we, that we, we didn't drown from the flood of customers that came in. We were actually building enough infrastructure that we could scale into it. In, 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 in No, I guess in nine months, we went from less than 1,000 customers a month to 10,000 students a month enrolling in our courses in, in less than a year. And we were able to build into that infrastructure. We were able to build infrastructure into that tailwind because we were so prepared and good at what we do. So here I want, I mean, I want to talk about the people component, right? Um, but before I do that, what was it, what was the, like the uh, tantalizing piece, Jeff, that got people to say yes to that course? Like what, you know, because you don't go yeah, yeah. selling a thousand to ten thousand in a month. Like where, where the top of funnel? Like where are you getting the people? Where where are you getting the exposure? How much money are you paying for ads? Oh well, yeah. I mean, we spend a, a pretty penny on ads, but I'll tell you what made our course unique. And this is the other element of making a great course, or really even just building a great personal brand, whether you want to be an educator or not. Is I was passionately true to my truth. And my truth, my, like Entre Institute, the whole company is this very large sort of impressive outgrowth and manifestation of basically my life. And my life is anchored around this principle that if you learn how to be a competent modern economy entrepreneur and you acquire the right blend of skills of direct response marketing, technology, psychology, and business operations, and maybe some others. You can create you can create any life you want. And to your question of having it all, what does any life you want look like for me? Yeah. It's creating a frame in which I can give maximum effort in all the categories that are important to me. Family, physical health, creativity, uh, learning, right? And that's my life. And that's basically the model that the course taught. And that's ultimately the model that Entre Institute teaches. So when I say, and I'm really into therapy and I'm really into personal development, I've done like so many thousands of hours of therapy. My brain has been, it's like a little peanut in there. It's been shrunk so much. And so when I created my course, my course was basically, it was that it was like, listen, there's a million courses out there that talk about online business or 
building a business or generating income with a side hustle or whatever. But what I'm going to teach you is a blueprint. And the course is called The Entre Blueprint. I'm going to teach you a blueprint for how to not only create the business that can fuel the life you want, but how to engineer the life around that business to maximize your fulfillment and grow you in the critical categories of life, physical, personal, and professional. I call it the three Ps. And basically, I created sort of the first completely uh, fused educational track of business development and personal development where it wasn't like favoring one over the other. Like a lot of companies, like they'll talk heavy business development and then they'll be like, oh yeah, by the way, we licensed a Tony Robbins course and you should go through that too. Or they'll be hardcore personal development and be like, oh, well, surely you want to make some, you, you know, you need to imagine all the opportunities you could have in your life to implement all this personal development if you could change your relationship with time and money. So like here, well, let me refer you to our partner who will teach you to build a business. But right. we were like, no, we're doing all of it. And we're going to do both of those sides of the coin extremely well. And yeah. that's our USP in the market is that we're equal parts personal and professional development without apology and without favoring one over the other. And I love that. I mean, when I wrote the book, The Making of a Maverick, Building Champions in Business and in Life, right? Because mm -hmm. I think it has to be too. And we have to be whole and complete, right? When we show up, there's this full being and that's what you're describing. And I love the three P's of excellence and you're absolutely right. Okay, so let's talk about people. Is it what you know or who you know? Yes. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's, it's actually who you are. And Ooh. what I mean by that is you take what you know and you have to commit. And, 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 and I mean, I'll just say it. I'm really committed to, to personal growth, to being the best version of myself. And you focus what, what you learn, which then becomes what you know, around this drive to better yourself and stay humble and to manifest your created human potential in deference to whatever force created that potential in the first place and to, to honor and serve that. And you do that and you just live well enough and you apply consistently enough and you push hard enough that eventually the who you know takes care of itself because you become the kind of person that can get doors opened and can open doors so that the who you want to know are actually interested in knowing you. And, and what that's been my experience of life is is there even back in my 20s when I was a musician? So I would go into these billionaires' homes and play piano, and they would be like, Oh, hey, this young guy, his suit <laughs> is actually tailored. It looks like it fits his body. And he and he doesn't have long, you know, I just kind of knew how to show up in a way that they would be at least uh, amenable to. And I would ask them good questions. And I actually ended up developing, for example, Bob McNair, who used to own the Houston Texans, passed away in 2017. He was actually a mentor of mine. I, I started by playing piano in his house, but I actually got started asking him questions about business. And now all of a sudden, the who you know, the who I knew, I knew billionaires because of how I showed up. Later in life, I've had multiple business mentors along the way that I didn't have any money. I didn't have any achievements, but they could tell there was something in the way that I was showing up that I had potential and they were interested in that. And I've been fortunate to receive incredible counsel and to build an incredible network way before I was probably entitled to that network, just because I was showing up a certain way and I was confident to put myself in front of the kind of people that I would want to know that it would, that it would benefit me later to know. And, um, and that, you know, so it's, you got to create all of it. You got to create what you know, based on what you want. You got to create who you know, based on who you are and how you show up. And ultimately you'll create what you get based on all the other things you create along the way. 
And and the biggest thing I see in life is people are just timid. Oh my God, right? And, and or they have no, no confidence. Yeah, no confidence, not willing to take risk. But I think to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have all of that. Okay, so the question too around you know, the personal board of directors, like you said, somebody, they're willing to give you 20 minutes, right? Answer three questions. You just have to ask. And I find that a lot, you know, a lot that people just, they don't know how to build a personal board. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that know things that you don't, you know, it's legal and it's finance or, you know, Hey, give me 20 minutes. Can you, and and they become very vested in you and they want to see you win. And you become somewhat of a, a case study or, you know, a philanthropy program for those individuals. So I think you're absolutely right. Asking those questions. Okay. So it's not, entrepreneur, when did you know you needed to start bringing people on board? Like, where was the mm. pivotal moment when you said, I, I need to have a team, I'm going to bring somebody in? And then who were those first few people that you added to your network that helped you build your business? So when I started getting some, uh, well, I've, I've had a few business partners along the way, and some have gone better than others. But I would say in terms of my the, the, the phase of my life when I was successful and I actually was winning at the game of business, it, it was really this company, Entra. I mean, I, I hired a lot of people because you have to hire. And maybe, ask, maybe you're mm-hmm. actually asking that. Like, when do you hire somebody? And I think that it's as soon as you actually are clear on how you're going to make money. You know, when you're figuring it out, you, you probably don't want to take on the burden of, of having to pay somebody when you don't even really know what the business is yet. But it's, I, I think people wait way too long to get help. I think as soon as you're pretty clear and confident that, hey, okay, this is what I do. This is my value proposition. And this is how, what and how I think I can sell in the market. I think you should immediately hire somebody okay. to do for two reasons. One, because... There's just more, if you have an actual business, there's going to be more to do than one person can do. And right. also it'll put some pressure on you because one of the things I see that young entrepreneurs do where, and, and in our case, we give them training and business models that we know are solvent. Like this okay. business works. We know that. And six months later, they maybe haven't made any money. Why? When, when yet another guy doing the exact same stuff six months later has made money. So we know it's not because it didn't work. Why? Because they weren't spending their time obsessively focused on revenue-producing activities, right? Well, if you want to get, and that's just a choice or or a priority. Well, if you want to force yourself to focus on revenue-producing activities, bring on a payroll. And now you're like, oh crap, I gotta pay, I gotta pay a paycheck. I better focus on revenue-producing activities. And you'll stop uh, procrastinating or you know, wasting time in the form of cluttered priorities, doing all this stuff that isn't really the one thing you need to be doing, which is selling stuff. Okay. But here's another thing too. So I always say, you know, you got to work to your strengths and you know that Jeff. So you say, you know, at, at the beginning, I'm a good copywriter. I'm a good, all these things, but you know, a lot of people aren't right. So how do you feel about as an entrepreneur, knowing that those are not your strengths, like building a website, isn't it better just to hire it out and have it done in three days and have somebody who that's their zone of genius versus you as an entrepreneur, knowing what you know, like what's your take on that? Because I know that yeah. that's a big question for entrepreneurs. It is. And I have a, I mean, it's obvious, right? Like, yeah, of course, you're better off paying somebody a thousand dollars to do the darn thing in two days rather than you wasting six months being frustrated. But I think that there's a, there's an asterisk to that answer because that's okay. the obvious answer. But the asterisk is don't ever use that as an out for not doing it yourself if you can't find someone else to do it or you 
can't afford someone else to do it. And, and I, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are like, they have this list of things that need to get done for their business. And they're thinking like, okay, I'm going to find somebody to do that. I'm going to find somebody to do that. But then actually I need to go make the money to be able to afford somebody to do that and afford somebody to do that. When in reality, there's a point where you just go, damn it, this has to get done. I can't afford help. I don't know how to do it. So I'm going to learn and I'm going to stop watching Netflix and I'm going to tell my wife and kids or husband and kids or whoever that every Saturday afternoon for the next year, I'm not available and they're going to be upset about it. And I'm going to need to re-enroll them in the idea that everything I'm doing is because I'm trying to build a certain type of life that they will benefit from too. And it may be a hard conversation. And I'm going to take complete and total responsibility that whether it's outsourcing it or figuring out how to do it myself, it's going to get done. And I think the trap of saying, oh, well, you should delegate it if it's not your strength is that ends up as an excuse to a lot of people to just not get it done. I love it. And I agree with that. When I built our first multi-million dollar company at the time, 10 years prior to that, I was home dabbling, volunteering, you know, being in the community, right. And giving back without a paycheck. But when I said yes to that, I was all in. And I said, 24 months, two years, totally dedicated. I didn't do anything else. I eat, breathe, live that, that business, getting it off the ground, figuring out how to do it. And we won. We won big time. I won big time. I mean, it was, I mean, I had a retirement party in my early 20s. So (laughs) I get it. Like, I know what that feels like. Okay. So this is a question that I want to leave you with today. Why do most people struggle to generate real money online? Ooh. I mean, we've kind of touched on it is the internet. Most people have a really, really dysfunctional relationship with the internet. Talk about that. What do you mean? Describe that even further. Yeah. So the internet engages, as soon as most people log onto the internet or get on a social media app on their phone or essentially enter into the digital social economy, it's a whole different circuit board in the brain that lights up. we We have been conditioned by digital media to have short attention spans, to have dopamine fixation to be click happy and, 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 you know, susceptible to clickbait And just like, we just have a, a, even, even think about communication, like communication online, it's super short exchanges with a whole lot of people happening simultaneously. You know, we go in and check our email. It used to be, you would sit down and you would write one person a letter for an hour. Now you open an inbox and you respond to a hundred people in an hour. That's just not how business gets done. And the biggest reason I think people struggle to do business on the internet is because they don't show up as a professional to the internet. They show up as a scatterbrained consumer to the internet and they don't act like a professional business person. Wow. And so internet business is just real business. And you have to be methodical and you have to be organized and you have to be disciplined and you have to take the time and you have, but but you have to block out 99% of the distractions and temptations and the, the internet's so new for most. I mean, no, nobody that's doing business on the internet grew, grew up with the internet no. being taught how to manage themselves on the internet because right. that just doesn't exist. And so I think that's why people struggle. You know, if you really, really ask people to do, like, like journal, like tell me everything you did in the four hours that you sat at the internet supposedly working on your business, right? there is not going to be that much focused, intentional action in accordance with a preset plan that's rational and smart. Jeff, you're brilliant. 
God bless you. Like, I love everything that you have to say. You've been an absolute pillar of knowledge for our audience today. So thank you for that. What are your final words? We're wrapping up. What are the final words that you want to leave this entrepreneurial nation with and uh, being the founder of Entree? You know, like, what is it? That, that human beings are so, just so diversely and wonderfully fertile with potential that is tragically unrealized in most human lives. And then in the world we live in, with the opportunities, the economics, the scalability, the ability to reach you know, all the customers in the world you could possibly want, it is, it is right there for everyone to the point where it is, it is virtually inexcusable to not have an amazing life in the world we live in. Because all the opportunity is right there. And the only thing between you and realizing that opportunity are decisions, focus, and habits. And, and there is no price you shouldn't be willing to pay to get the decisions, focus, and habits of your life right because the actual life that you want is on the other side of doing that. Couldn't be better said. I, I absolutely love it. And it's it's just, and it's simple. You know, I mean, we make it we make it hard and it and overcomplicate everything. But what you've described, Jeff, I mean, you're a prime example. And so thank you for being an example for others on how to lead a successful life. So Jeff Lerner, thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. Did you enjoy this conversation as much as I did? If you're looking for more conversations like these, be sure to subscribe and please leave a review of the podcast. Subscribing and leaving a review helps it show up on your phone every time a new episode is released and leaving a review helps other people like you find us so they can get the help they need so they can live their best life. Also, subscribe to our weekly email on our website at marlohiggins.com. This is the place that we share insider tips with our audience and drop polarizing insights with you. Remember, the road to success is better with friends. So be sure to share this episode to help all of you reach your goals together. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, success is universally desired, personally defined, and always within reach.